0: So we're on to our next in the uh, the Beatitudes series this morning. Um, we're looking at Matthew chapter 5 and verse 4, just the one verse. Um, and this this week it's, Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. So just to, to recap on um, what David took us through last week in his talk, um, when we look at the Beatitudes, we realise that um, the world's view of uh, what it means to be blessed or happy is radically different from God's view. And uh, despite what worldly wisdom would say, um, all the people that are listed in, in the Beatitudes of the poor, those who mourn, the meek, those who hunger and thirst, um, those who are persecuted, all these people are included among those who are Blessed. And it's because blessing doesn't come from our circumstances. It comes from God and God's kingdom. And it's not dependent on earthly things. And more than that, um, those who lower themselves in this world for God's sake will actually receive blessing in the kingdom of heaven because they took that position in this world. So just a a brief um, recap of some of what what David spoke about last week and and an overview of of what we're looking at in the, the Beatitudes But as we said, this week we're looking at uh, verse 4. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. So it it seems straight away like a a paradox, doesn't it? We have blessed, which means happy or perhaps an enviable state. If you're someone who's blessed, you're someone who would be envied. And then those who mourn. And we, we know that mourning is to feel or express deep sadness or to grieve. So straight away it's a, it's a paradox. It's, it's almost like Jesus is saying, "Happy are the sad. And um, as we'll see with all the other Beatitudes, um, Jesus seeks to turn what we think of as, as normal thinking on its head. And he does that to try and get across uh, a message of spiritual importance to those who are listening and to his followers in particular. So let's try and um, make sense of that. It, it seems on the face of it to be confusing, doesn't it? But we'll, we'll see if we can make sense of what that means. So I think the first thing to consider is what, what does Jesus actually mean by those who mourn? Well, when we use the word mourn, um, or we, we talk about mourning, our first thought is perhaps of death or of loss of some kind. Um, perhaps we've lost someone close to us and we're, we're mourning that they're not here anymore. Or perhaps we're grieving a tragedy of some kind, we hear about some terrible thing that's happened and, and we can mourn over the, the sadness of it and the, um, the tragedy of it. Or it can even be lost in a material sense. We can um, perhaps think of times when we've had something that's very valuable to us and we've lost that thing, be it through some disaster or some misfortune of some kind, and we can really grieve and mourn a loss, a material loss. I think to a certain extent we can include all of these in what Jesus is saying when he talks about mourning. Um, And we'll see, as as we've already mentioned, um, the theme running through the Beatitudes is that suffering in all its forms will one day give way to blessedness and to to everything being made right again. As we read in Revelation chapter 21 verse 4, it says, He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning, or crying, or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. It's something that's often read out at funerals, isn't it? And I think it's appropriate for us, as we begin to think of this idea of mourning and being comforted, um, we can say that all these things that we've thought about, the the loss of loved ones or the loss of something valuable to us, um, we know that one day all things will be made right, and we can look ahead to to that day when... um, uh, all, all sin and all, all sense of, of sadness and loss will be taken away. And that's perhaps the most simple way of taking in what, what Jesus is saying. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. And one day we'll know that, that all the sadness that we, we experience in this life will be taken away. So that's that's one way in which we can, we can think of it. But perhaps the primary meaning of Jesus' words was to do with the issue of sin. If we look at 2 Corinthians, Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10, it says, Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret, but worldly sorrow brings death. So perhaps given what we know of Jesus, he, he tried always in his, his, um, his sermons and his parables, he was always trying to bring out a, a spiritual meaning, um, something of spiritual importance to, to his followers. And he was rarely just concerned with the, um, the material things or the material issues that we face. So in light of that, perhaps this is what Jesus is getting at here, the idea of, of godly sorrow. And in particular, sorrow over sin. And we know that through, um, through Jesus' whole time on earth, he was, he was concerned with these things. Not with physical matters, but with spiritual. So just in these few minutes that we've got, we'll consider... Um, three different ideas of what this verse can mean. It can mean um, that suffering will one day give way to blessedness because of the cross. Um, It can also mean that an attitude of mourning and grief towards sin can lead to repentance and present day blessing, not just something in the future, but something in the present. And then thirdly, we can think that um, mourning our sin and the sin of the world um, as a whole will allow us to gain a deeper appreciation for our salvation and for the gospel so we'll just we'll take those three things um, as we spend a few minutes looking at, at this verse so as we've said um, already some someday suffering will give way to blessedness and perhaps this is the most obvious interpretation of what Jesus is saying we live in a broken world that we? we see it all around us full of suffering and um, and wrong of, of all kinds And it causes all of us to mourn at one time or another. And we know that even Jesus himself was not immune from this. We read in John chapter 11 that he wept at the death of Lazarus, who was a dear friend, who he loved dearly. But the Bible tells us that one day everything will be made right. Um, The the Revelation verse that we read tells us this. And perhaps in in our world as it is at the moment... Is something that's almost impossible for us to imagine. We can look around and we see that every aspect of this world is tainted by sin in one way or another. And yet we're assured that one day this will cease to be the case. Um, those of us who are um, in the church here will remember that a few weeks ago we were studying the book of Romans. And if we think back to that study, we can, um, we can see in Romans 5 and 19... It says, for just as through the disobedience of the one man, many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of one man, the many will be made righteous. It's a reminder that um, even in our deepest mourning and our deepest sadness in this life, we can look ahead to that day when everything will be made right. And it's because of Jesus' sacrifice for us. And this is something that as we go through the Beatitudes in in the coming weeks, we'll see that... um, the promises for the future give us joy in the present because we have that assurance that one day everything will be made right and we can, we can imagine what that day will be like and we can look forward to that day. But we don't have to wait until that day comes before we can um, receive the benefit of what Jesus is saying because um, if we have that promise and that certainty that one day all things will be made right, it gives us strength and uh, hope to, to deal with things that happen in the here and now so the promise of the future gives us joy in the present because we can cling to God's promises and they'll help us in the things that we're we're mourning over in the present so suffering will one day give way to blessedness and to joy um, the second thing that we can we can see from this verse is that as we mourn our own sin it leads to repentance and to present-day blessing um, that's to say that if we're in a state of mourning over our own sin and our inadequacy before God, we'll know comfort. And to the extent that we mourn our own sin is the extent that we'll know true repentance from it. It's perhaps something that we can challenge ourselves on. Um, how much do we really mourn our own sin? The natural response is for us to to minimise it and to... to um, to put it, put it out of sight perhaps and just to tell ourselves that we're doing fine, we're doing okay. But um, we should know that this attitude leads to spiritual growth coming to a standstill. Because we're not dealing with, with the issues that, that persist in our lives. Um, 1 John chapter 1 verses 6 and 7 say, If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, We have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. So that's just an encouragement for us to to live in the light, not to put the the things that we need to deal with in in darkness, but to bring them out into the light. Um, And to live like that requires us first to see the the true ugliness of our sin. And it's a, a painful but a necessary step. Um, perhaps some will remember back in the day there was a program called How Clean Is Your House with uh, Kim and Aggie and uh, they always used to start by going around someone's house and uh, it was always uh, a bit of a mess and they would examine the full extent of the problem and they'd bring out all these um, disgusting things that had been festering in, in the house for years and years and uh, we'd all look on at home and disgust, and we'd, we'd shake our heads and feel good about our own homes but... Um, it was important that they went through that stage of seeing the full ugliness of, of, of the mess before they could actually sort everything out, wasn't it? Um, they needed to bring to light what the problem was. They needed to see what, what they were dealing with. And then they were able to, to really get rid of it and, and sort it out. And it's the same with us, isn't it? We're, we're reluctant to acknowledge the full extent of our sin because it's worse than we think and it's worse than we let on perhaps. But um, the verse we read in, in one John tells us to get it into the light so that we can we can deal with it head on and Jesus tells us that we're to to mourn our sin we're not to um, to put it out of sight and and to to forget about it, but we're to mourn it and're to um, and from that comes comfort and blessing as we confess our sin and uh, as we rid ourselves of sin with god's help um Another aspect of that is that we, we mourn our fallen world around us and perhaps this is something that's easier for us to do because we can distance ourselves from it but as we've said we look around the world and we see sin touching every, every aspect of it um, and of course we mourn that we ourselves are part of the problem but it's such a comfort to us if we, if we know that, um, that Jesus has dealt with it all we know that no matter how bad things get we have the certainty that one day everything will be made right, as we've, as we've thought already in our Revelation verse. So, mourning our own sin and mourning the sin of the world um, leads us to repentance, leads us to spiritual growth and to present-day blessing. And then thirdly, and, and finally, through mourning our own sin, we gain a deeper appreciation of our salvation. We can read in Luke chapter 7, of the account of a woman who knew she led a sinful life. We'll just read a few verses of, of the story. Um, Luke 7 and verse 41. And it's Jesus speaking. He's in the house of Simon the Pharisee. And he's, he's telling this story to, to get the message across. He says, Two people owed money to a certain money lender. One owed him 500 denarii, the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back so he forgave the debts of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned towards the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman, from the time I entered, is not stopped kissing my feet. You did not pour oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown, but whoever has been forgiven little loves little. This is a a perfect example of um, blessed are those who mourn, someone who's been blessed because of their mourning. Now, Simon in the story was a Pharisee, and the Pharisees were known for being pious people. They were, um, had a high view of themselves. They made sure that they were seen to be doing good things all the time. And they were highly respected. But Jesus tells Simon that by not realising the extent of his sin, he's actually missing out on the blessedness that comes from that. And again, that seems kind of um, counterintuitive. But um, we can see that the deeper we mourn our sin, and the more that we mour- the more that we grieve over it, the more we'll appreciate just how much has been done for us. So we have to ask ourselves: Do we want to have the kind of love that Jesus, for Jesus, that the woman in Luke seven had? Do we want to have that emotional, heartfelt response? Well, it starts with appreciating day by day what's been done for us, and that starts with a realization of where we were without Jesus. I can remember um, being younger, and I'm sure you can too, sitting in church meetings where um, perhaps the entire audience was made up of of believers. And I'd hear the speaker talking the gospel message and telling us um, about what what we need to do to be saved. And at times I'd, I'd wonder why I'd think everyone in this room is already saved. Everyone's heard the gospel message before. But um, I think over time we come to see that we need to preach the gospel to ourselves regularly or daily even because it's the foundation of our relationship with God. And it's the way in which we we remind ourselves that, yes, we're sinful and we're still sinful and we still do things that grieve God day by day. And because of that, we appreciate afresh um, what God's done for us and taking that sin away from us. So perhaps when we think about the gospel, we're tempted to skate over the the part which talks about our own sin and where we were headed without Jesus. We'd rather just get to the the good news part. But from what we've been reading today and thinking about today, we can see that there's still that need to mourn our own sin and realise that it had a hold on us and that it still affects us today. Because Jesus says that if we do this, then we'll be blessed because we will be comforted. So we're comforted in the present by the knowledge that our sin problem has been dealt with and our debt's been paid, just like the, the person in the story. And we're comforted in the future when we'll know that the power of our sin has been completely crushed. And we can look forward to that day when we, we won't sin anymore and there'll be no sin in the world to, um, to cause damage. So just to wrap up, um, those who belong to Christ can really be blessed through mourning, as the, the verse says. We can know that, we know that suffering in this world will one day give way to blessedness and to all things being made right, as we thought about in the Revelation verse. We can see that through mourning our sin, we'll know true repentance and um, we'll grow spiritually and we'll turn our back on, on sin day by day. And then thirdly, through mourning our own sin, we gain a deeper appreciation for our salvation and we gain um, a deeper grasp of God's love for us in giving a son. So the challenge there at the end is just, just like the, the woman who knew this, she'd, she'd lived a sinful life. She fell at Jesus' feet and she, um, she wept over her own sin. But she knew that um, because her great sin had been forgiven, her love for Jesus was, was great. And so we have to ask ourselves, are we in that position? Do we acknowledge that our sin is great, but, but that God's love was greater and that he he dealt with the problem for us so just a few things for us to to think about as we um, go into the the week ahead as we pray